0: Welcome to the VoxGig podcast. We talk to people in the developer community about developer relations, public speaking, and community events. For more details, visit voxgig.com podcast. All right, let's get started. Today I'm talking to Oshin Lunny, a professional public speaker, master of ceremonies, radio presenter, journalist. Machine has hosted and moderated events and given keynote presentations at over 200 conferences worldwide, including TEDx, Mobile World Congress, and South by Southwest. He has also had media appearances on CNN, BBC, and for The Observer, The Telegraph, Business Reporter, and Customer Experience magazine. Join me today to get the inside tips on being an MC and keeping control of the audience. Welcome to Fireside with Boxgig. It is fantastic to have you here today.
1: Delighted to be here. Thank you so much for the invite, Richard. Good stuff.
0: I'm going to jump straight in with one of my favorite questions, which is, uh, given that you're now a uh, wonderfully experienced conference speaker and MC, has the memory of your first speaking engagement completely faded from your mind? Or can you still take us back to that uh, that first day that you stepped out on stage?
1: Uh, absolutely, no problem. It's it's burnt into my retinas uh, to this day. I don't think I'll ever uh, get over that experience, even though it was a great learning experience. Um, the background to my first speaking gig was I was working as a product manager at a rather large network company. And uh, this company owns fiber optic cables that carries the, the internet, Netflix, etc. It carries the, the backhaul for the mobile phone signals. So they literally owned Fiber optic cables that sit underneath the roads, and uh, you see their name on manholes all over Europe. Uh, so they had a bit of an issue in that they had this immensely profitable and brilliant next generation product, but they weren't getting a lot of PR for it uh, because it's not very, you know, "quote unquote" sexy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's incredibly, you know, necessary for pretty much everything that we need to do in this, uh, you know, mobile first, internet first day and age. Uh, but at the time, it was difficult to get PR. So the, the part of the business I worked in was looking after... I was product manager for the uh, quote-unquote media services, which is things like video streaming, content delivery, yeah. um, you know, all that kind of thing, content protection. And so uh, my boss at the time, a guy called Tom Frankfurt, an absolutely brilliant strategist, uh, he called me into his office and said, you know what, as a product manager, you're great. If you were managing a standalone company, it would probably be the you know, best performing, most profitable in Europe. Blah 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 blah, but as it stands, in the context of this multi-million-pound business, um, there's not really anything more you can do that's going to move the dial for your particular portfolio. So we need to think of another reason for you to be here.
0: Wow! Uh, So that was
1: that was quite yeah. I mean that was (laughs) that, that was brilliantly challenging and motivating at the same time. And so we had a bit of a brainstorm and he said, you know what, you're working with all of these record labels and movie streaming companies and these you know, new businesses like YouTube. This is a very, very, very long time ago, early internet days. And so he said, why don't you go out and get us a bunch of PR because that's what you can really do well that none of the other products can do because they're selling fibers and selling cables and hosting and colocation and stuff. And so he gave me an empty uh, A4 folder, like a, uh, you know, just a, a foolscap folder and said, every time we have a, a monthly review i want you to bring this back to me and have a bit more pr in it so i want you to get some high quality pr for the company and so um that was a, a brilliant challenge i have to be honest and it's one i, I kind of relished and uh, um, so it. he uh, he basically said get a, get a, get a speaking gig or, or, or well what it was so, <laughs> you know, well, yeah pretty well that's how i read it anyway um in, in kind of parallel to this i bumped into somebody who uh was putting together a conference called radio at the edge. Uh, and uh, this was kind of the new age of, uh, you know, getting radio over the internet and that kind of thing. And uh, she asked, did I know any speakers? And I, you know, thinking of my empty an empty folder of, of no PR that I'd managed to generate. I said, "Yeah, absolutely." Was there be PR around it? She said, "Yeah, totally." Uh, so I volunteered for it with you know not much of an idea as to what I would bring together. And uh, I remember you know I put together a presentation which was about what I did, what I thought was exciting about technology, and you know of course a little bit about the company I was working for to generate some good PR. And um, the organisers put me on back to back with uh, a leading expert from an analytics company. And I remember sitting in the front row of this auditorium that was much bigger than i was expecting with much more important people than i was expecting and uh, i was on after this guy and he you know he he kind of waltzed on stage you know very confidently and said ladies and gentlemen i'm from a very important analyst company and i have some very important Uh, data analysis for you that nobody else has seen in the world. This is a premiere and I put it together just for you. And I remember sitting in the front row and the blood draining from my face and my stomach starting to churn. And i just thinking, oh my God, I'm such an idiot. Why have I volunteered for this? This is the worst idea of my life. Oh, this is just a disaster. And I sat there in a cold sweat for a few minutes. Uh, and then I remember some good advice that somebody shared with me, which is to remember to breathe. And so I started breathing. <laughs> That's good, <That's laughs> don't you? Know, you know, yeah, remember to breathe. I mean, you know, you, you'd think something like this would be uh, w- yeah. would be self-evident. But anyway, did some kind of deep breathing, relaxed a bit. And then I looked around and I saw that people were yawning. So this guy was brilliant and he had some amazing statistics that nobody else in the world had seen, but he was talking about stats for like 20 minutes and and, and people had sort of had enough. And so... Then I realized that my job was to make things a bit more interesting and energetic. You know, I couldn't compete in terms of the content. His content was really high quality, but there was just a lot of it. So that left me a bit of room to jump on stage and just give it... You know my my best shot, and um, I, I just kind of tried to speak with authenticity, passion, and uh, you know gave a very genuine, heartfelt presentation about you know what I th- thought was exciting about technology. Uh, and at the end, it was really well received. So um, you know, I, I don't think one would ever forget one's first time public speaking, but mine, mine was particularly terrifying. <laughs>
0: That's a, that's a baptism of fire, if ever I've heard one. Oh yeah. You've touched on a, a, a couple of points there that I think are important. So one of them is this wonderful state of mind you enter into before a talk. The night before when you haven't done any slides or <laughs> when there's a brilliant speaker ahead of you um, or when you when you suddenly realize you have to plan yet another trip, which is why on oh, God's holy earth did I volunteer. <laughs> That always happens. That is is guaranteed to happen. And then the other one is, uh, which I feel is really important, is to remember that your main job up there is to entertain people. Uh, It's their valuable time. Uh, Yes, you have to teach, but our job is to be entertainers as well, I think.
1: Yeah, um, I I totally agree. And I I I thought that was really helpful that crossed my mind as I was sitting in the front row, uh, you know, trying not to sweat through my shirt, um, was it's too late to leave. It's too late. I can't actually run out of the venue. That would look really bad if I ran out and then the stage... was. you were considering it quite seriously. Well, you know, it did cross my mind and I thought, oh, no, I can't. So so once you kind of... So what I would recommend to anybody looking to give it a go or, um, you know, from that point of view is... Stepping outside of your comfort zone can be a brilliant way to learn quickly because you don't really have the option not to learn. Mm. So, you know, volunteering for a for a speaking spot and, you know, going through the, the fear and all the rest, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's too late to leave. You can't run away. You can't gonna hide. Uh, so if you volunteer for something, there's a, a spot on the stage and, you know, it's got your name on it. You have to go up there and do something. So, you know, it, it is a, perhaps... You know, like you say, it's a baptism of fire, but it's also a really concentrated opportunity to to have that experience and just kind of get the ball rolling.
0: Absolutely. And was that the first time that you were on a stage performing? Uh, because it sounds like you 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 were still had a, a degree of comfort with the whole idea of getting on stage.
1: That's true. To be fair, yeah, I, I hadn't done any public speaking before, but uh, it, and many 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 moons ago, back in the nineteen nineties. <laughs> Uh, But before some listeners were possibly born, uh, I was in a a band and we played on stage and, Uh you know, toured and did X, Y and Z. I mean, I I was horrendously shy during that time and found it very difficult to be on stage. But, um, you know, my role in the band was as a guitarist, so I I didn't really have to, uh, you know, have the same level of uh, exposure. Uh, as, as one of the vocalists yeah you, you mind but you, you've had that
0: experience of standing on the stage looking at an audience yeah one of the pieces of advice that i was given years ago when i was starting out speaking conferences was if you get a chance before the auditorium fills up or the break literally just get up on the stage mm. stand there behind the podium and just get used to what you're looking at so you don't get hit with it the first time
1: yeah that, that's really good advice now i, I have a you know, something of a portfolio career these days as, you know, you you hang around for long enough, you know, you tend to pick up a few different bits and pieces and uh, one of the things I do is um, uh, I contribute to Forbes.com which is an awesome publication and website and the other day I was chatting to uh, one of the best known techno DJs in the world a guy called Carl Cox who Mm was something of a legend absolutely brilliant and uh, I haven't actually published this piece yet it will be published soon and uh, we kind of spoke about the, the reasons that he got into it and why he was doing it and one of the interesting things that came out of our chat was that he was first and foremost a punter a dancer he would go clubbing and he would you know he knew what he wanted as a punter and he knew what he wanted in the crowd and that's what gave him an edge that a lot of other DJs didn't have when uh, when, he be, when he got behind the decks because he knew what the experience he wanted as a member of the audience. And he said he was a clubber for many, many, many years before he got behind the decks. And so maybe there's a parallel there, like you say, with go, going to a venue when it's empty, going on stage, but also going to an event and sitting in the audience and really think about how do I feel about this speaker? What is it that I like about this person, uh, you know, how is this, is this woman really inspiring me? Um, you, you know, wh- whatever, look at it from the point of view of the audience. And I think if you can keep that perspective on your own, uh, you know, place and your own responsibilities as a, as a speaker, uh, that helps a lot. Um, that is, that yeah,
0: is a pretty good idea. I, because a lot of, a lot of us start out, uh, we're, we're sent to conferences to learn. Uh, yeah. You use that as an opportunity if, if you have an inkling in the back of your head that you want to be speaking as well. Use that as, a, as an opportunity. To, don't, don't just pay attention to the content, but pay attention to the speaker. Um, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a great idea. I want to turn now to the role of the MC. So this is sort of uh, a quantum leap from <laughs> the very first speaking engagement. <laughs> <communication. laughs> To uh, where you are now, which is really, um, you know, uh, uh, you're a professional speaker, and you know you're asked to MC at conferences. Uh, I recently MC'd one track at a tech conference, um, oh. and because I had, well, <laughs> was it? A, it's one of those. Was it? A, was this a good idea? Is what I was thinking. Because I I, I had done a whole bunch of conference speaking, I thought, well. It's, too. Difficult. It's sort of the same thing. Uh, but I found it terribly, terribly difficult, because when I speak at a conference, I'm talking about stuff that I know about. But when you're introducing people, you have all the, you have this ton of facts you have to remember about them, and you have to find something witty to say and create excitement for the audience, and uh, there's 10 different things coming at you. Maybe let's just talk about the MC role and how how, how you approach that and, and your first experiences there and then the skill set oh, sure. yeah. needed in that role. Because it, it's one of the places that people often end up if they become known as being, oh, you can speak.
1: Mm yeah it's interesting like uh as with many things in my professional life it's it's more or less pure serendipity and uh, you know more by uh you know fortuitous accident than by design but um basically I started to, you know as a conference speaker speaking about the things that I felt passionate around um in, in music technology social media innovation etc and as I went on um conference organizers would you know notice that I was a- approaching them for a you know, to get involved in an event and they say, Hey, could you, you know, speak about this, but then can we rope you in to moderate this panel over here, which is about some of the stuff that you've talked about? Uh, and so that kind of progressed quite naturally. And, uh, I think my first engagement, which was moderating an entire conference was, uh, thanks to some wonderful people, uh, in a place called Borlenga in Sweden. And uh this uh, wonderful lady called uh, Osa, and uh, she ran an event called Trigger, Trigger Creative Conference, which was part of a, co- um, a a music festival called Peace and Love. And they had a two-day, like, top-level music and technology conference uh, in this place called Borlenga in Sweden. Now, it's not a, a thriving metropolis. It's actually a small village uh, in the Swedish countryside. Okay. Every year, okay. they would have this massive music festival, and they'd invite Fantastic. people like, Dead Mouse, Depeche Mode, wow. uh, Bob Dylan, you know, uh, MIA, big headliners, and um, they had the same approach to the folks who were speaking at the conference. They had S- Seymour Stein. He signed Blondie, Talking Heads, The Ramones, The Smiths. Uh, he brought Depeche Mode to the US. Um, uh, they had folks like Scott Cohen, who's just been signed up as a director of innovation over uh, Warner Brothers, uh, Warner Music, should I say? Um, and so it was a very top level conference, uh, but they needed a, an MC just to keep things going smoothly. And. I mean, the, the interesting thing that I find both from public speaking and emceeing, and I i, I suspect you may feel this as well, or maybe mm-hmm. everyone who, who's a public speaker feels like this, um, but it's something that you you learn by doing. So there's no course how to be a, a speaker in particular, but it is something that you can learn just by doing it again and again and again. A bit like, um, you know, a bit like driving a car. I think being a conference emcee is, is like driving a car because there's so many tiny little micro movements that you basically have to do again and again until you have... Uh, you know a, a muscle memory of them um and then it's really easy and you don't don't even think about doing them uh,
0: yeah okay. um, that's, that's a really good point yeah
1: but uh, so i think that,
0: it is hard to begin with but but you develop muscle memory yeah exactly exactly yeah.
1: that and i think the thing with being an mc is that you are there you know my uh I, i'm happy at a, at a conference when i am the conduit between the speakers, the organizers, and the audience, for them all to have the best possible experience. And I know that there's certain things you can do again and again for the speakers, the organizers, and the audience uh, to to make sure this happens. Uh, I mean, one of them is being really prepared, uh, doing a bit of a deep dive into the subject matter, knowing who the speakers are, liaising with the AV crew and the stage managers on the day, uh, you know, helping with social media running up to during and after the event. You know, being absolutely 100% honest in terms of timing, uh, just because there's so many different dependencies of big events, everything has to run to the second. Um, And really just being able to improvise if you like and being able to you know make sure you're listening very attentively to what's happening uh on stage in the audience etc and reacting to it and making sure that everything moves smoothly from one speaker to one panel to a fireside chat to the wrap-up to the you know networking etc and it's a it's a role that i find immensely challenging in a very good way I really enjoy it because it uh, brings together so many different skills from different areas of my own experience. So, um, you know, and yeah, absolutely. It felt a bit daunting at first, but you know, like with everything, uh, you know, the more you do it, the easier it gets. Would you say that
0: that's that predominates your activities these days? Because I noticed that... um, You
1: do speak rather a lot. (laughs) You hang uh, hang around for long enough.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Your schedule is completely uh, insane, I have to say.
1: (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) How do you manage that? Well, it's actually kind of um, uh, it's a bit more manageable these days. I, I mean, I've got a few. I, I just did uh, four years from now in Barcelona, which was part of uh, Mobile World Congress. An immense privilege to do this. I was MCing oh, the garden the stage. Yeah. Oh, it's massive! There's 120,000 attendees. I mean, it's mind blowing. Wow. Wow. Um, but four years from now is this future focused, innovation focused uh, sub conference within Mobile World Congress, and uh, I was MCing the the garden stage for three days, introducing folks like the, uh, you know, the the um, What's his name? The Decentralized Chief Officer of HTC. He's just launched this uh, incredible blockchain phone. Um, and it's, you know, more than anything, it's an opportunity to meet incredible people making a huge impact in the world. Um, but, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm wavering off a bit. I just got a bit excited thinking about four years from now. Uh, I've got a few gigs coming up in the next few months. Uh, I'm over in Dublin for the Beatvine Music X-Tech Experience on the 1st and 2nd of May. That's <laughs> going to be a lot of fun. That's, uh, you know, with P- folks like beaty Wolf, who's, um, you know, this incredible innovator around technology and music. She's going to do a keynote. Uh, I'm on the advisory board for the Customer Experience World events. So I'm going to uh, be chairing their tech stream in London and uh, Johannesburg in May and July. Um, I'll be over in London for the Digital Marketing World Forum in May, and uh, also emceeing the Retail and Brands Experience in Barcelona again in May. Um, if, if anybody would like to connect or find out more, just visit my website uh, AshinLunny.com.
0: And obviously, all of these events are a great opportunities to see the. Um the scale of the MC as well. Uh, well, that, that's
1: very kind <laughs> of you. <laughs> you haven't <laughs> seen <laughs> the MC what yet. Have, <laughs>
0: I hope so. One has to have? has to have a, a mountain to climb? Of course, when you get to the mountain, there's there's yet another
1: peak. It is very, uh, true. very has, true. Have
0: you? I mean, how do you? How do you deal with something like, uh, or has this ever happened to you, where you have uh, some sort of brain freeze where you can't remember the name of the person you're about to introduce, or you oh, can't remember something important about them?
1: Printed notes, my friends. That's that was something I learned from very early on. I, you know, there's enough stuff happening uh, if you're introducing. You know, hundred people over three days to remember their name, their title, what they're talking about, how you pronounce the name. I always check with the, oh, the speakers first. Cool. Um, you know, I I have a clipboard, I can't even remember where I got it. Somebody gave it to me at one of the conferences and uh, I, I didn't give it back. So oh, I, keep clipboard is <laughs> <yes, get a laughs> your friend. Uh, this is the thing. I, I did a, a TEDx talk in twenty seventeen and I you know you know, for all that you learn by doing, I think there's some great tips to be had from, uh, from the, uh, the, the Ted talk. Uh, book uh, the, that guy Chris. I can't remember a second name. He's he the uh, kind of MD of, of TED Talks. Uh, he, he wrote a great book, which is how to give a TED Talk. Oh yes, it it be, yes. yeah, it's fantastic. I recommend it to anybody who's listening to the Vox League uh, podcast. So one of the points he makes is that um, you know the best possible TED Talk delivery is you know completely memorized. You know your hands are visible. You're talking into the audience. You don't have any cue points anywhere. You use your slides. As your uh, as your reminders, um, but their study shows that if you know you have you know if you're kind of reading out a, a, a speech or a, you know you've got some research or you need to refer to notes, it's much better to actually have the notes in your hand on a clipboard or to have a stack of paper or to have some memory cards because you know if the audience thinks you're using some kind of you know high tech uh, cue cards that they can't see. Uh, it, it seems a bit inauthentic. So you know,
0: yeah, that is, it's an interesting point because most, most tech conferences these days, uh, people uh, just use their phones. Um, yes, I, I don't know whether maybe uh, maybe it's because I'm in my forties that quite <laughs> <worth listening. laughs> um, uh, I, I can't quite see what's on the screen at that at that at that velocity and distance. Um, yeah.
1: And our clipboards are great, man. I remember doing, uh, I think it was the first day that, that I did uh, Trigger back in 2012, this this conference in Borlengia in Sweden. And uh, I had, I think it was either an iPhone or an iPad, and I had all the stuff on Evernote that I needed to refer mm-hmm. to. And I can't remember what it was, but uh, as I was, you know, giving the introduction, uh, my hand slipped and then I went into another app and I couldn't find my, you know. So yeah. it was just like... Oh, no, of course, uh, anything that can go wrong with, uh, with technology might go wrong. So mm-hmm. you, you sort of, you know, call me old fashioned, but you do know where you are with a stack of paper and a clipboard. And that way you can edit it, you yeah. can make notes, you can, you know, make uh, mental reminders to come back to things. To, uh, and it's also uh, one of the things I like to do after an event is do a, a wrap up blog post and kind of thank the speakers and that kind of thing. So um, making notes beside the schedule is helpful for that. In terms of you know what were the things that people you know really impressed you about the speakers?
0: Okay, that's yeah, that's a that's a tough tip for sure. You mentioned you mentioned uh, speaking at TEDx. Um, I mean, this is another uh, ambition that many aspiring speakers would have. Um, mm. And you know, I'm, I'm talking that you know, just picture in your mind somebody who has just started giving uh, small talks at meetups, that sort of stuff. But in the back of their minds, you know, they believe this is important for their career. Great. How does that person who has given one or two talks at a tech meetup with maybe 20 people in the audience go from that place? Uh, and I mean, let, let, let's forget about you know actual TED because TEDx is good enough. Let's just say TEDx. How do you get to? How do you get from that point giving meetup talks, giving TEDx talks?
1: I would. Um, I would suggest and encourage anybody listening with that ambition to absolutely go for it. You might be pleasantly surprised. Um, One of the cool things about the TEDx talks are they are, you know, curated by volunteers. And, you know, each TEDx talk has a theme and there are hundreds of them every year. So have a look on the TEDx website and have a look at the themes and see does the theme of a particular event deeply resonate with you? I mean, I think that's the important thing is that, you know, if you find the theme that resonates with you and, uh, you know, echoes what you've been talking about, even, you know, it, it doesn't matter where you've been talking about it um you know if if you're passionate about something the the TEDx format is very egalitarian and it can provide you with a wonderful platform um now in my experience I wanted to speak about something very very specific uh and it was all about connectivity and all about our our, what I like to call our phono sapien planet and that's this kind of huge adoption of, of mobile technology and so I got in touch with um organizers of TEDx in a place called Rapid City in the States and they they were just wonderful they very kindly accepted my presentation and allowed me to join the lineup at the very last minute and um, uh, it it was a great experience they uh, they kind of assigned a speaker coach to me a guy called Michael Howard who's wonderful and um, I actually got some great speaking tips I delivered my presentation uh, a few times as I was as working on it uh, over Skype with Michael and he gave me some great um, some great feedback. So I, I think that's the uh, deal with, with all of the TEDx talks. So I may be wrong, but that's that's what I...
0: Yeah, so they give you a higher level of support and it's just a higher level of pressure. I mean,
1: exactly, exactly. So I think if you want to talk about something interesting, it doesn't matter if you haven't spoken about it hundreds of times to hundreds of people. Um, if it's interesting and it fits with the theme of that particular TEDx talk, uh, you have an, you have a, as good a chance as anybody. And they do um in my experience offer you some really useful uh uh kind of support are, are,
0: are, in a way it sounds like um do a tedx do a tedx talk to be to, to end up being good enough to do a tedx talk
1: that is absolutely yes spot on spot on because you know that i i've never done a solo presentation like that where i've memorized everything and you know relayed it as if it was just naturally conversational. Um, you know, that that was a lot of very interesting new work. And uh that that was part of the the joy of doing it is that it was a real stretch goal. But you know, by virtue of the stretch you figure out how to do it on the way there. Again, coming back to that thing of, of stepping outside of your comfort zone, it, i think the rewards from that whole approach can be massive.
0: Don't think that massive absolutely. Um, and did you um, did you prepare properly? Um, you know there was that, that uh, chap Tim Urban who uh, he gave a TED talk about procrastinating about preparing for his TED talk.
1: <laughs> 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 How are you fantastic? <laughs> uh, uh, did you prepare? <laughs> I yeah I absolutely did. So I I got some uh, help with making the slides uh, to make them look nice from a company called Buffalo Seven uh, in the UK, and they were great. And um, I also yeah, I mean I did pre- I did prepare not quite as much as the TEDx book um, recommended or the TED Talk book recommended, and it was as is typical of most things that um, you know I should be prepared for more. It was all a bit last minute, and I, I did have some. Uh, you know some some very very late nights um, when i was uh, when I was preparing for this and uh, it sort of came down to like having to find a quiet spot on the day and disappear in there with the notes a few more times and go through the whole thing again and again and again in my head but you know it was the right amount of time to to deliver. Uh, the TED Talk in the right way and it, it went really well I was very happy with how it went um, so yeah I, I mean if you have that that kind of that great planning mindset that enables you to prepare for months in advance uh, you know that is wonderful I think that's such a Admirable thing. It's a, great uh, quality to have. it's a great quality to have. Exactly. I, I don't really have it myself. I'm a bit more, you know, I'll call a volunteer for something, and then I'll figure it out. Uh, and then, and it, it usually get figured out coming up to when it actually needs to be delivered. But that's the way I, I work. That's well, my it's my, it's my personality. Dynamic,
0: the dynamic uh, intellectual pressure to make it happen. Maybe.
1: Well, yeah, and I, th- I think as well on stage it gives you uh, a bit of energy. You know, it's, uh, I'm a great believer in not, not everything being totally ironed out. And it's actually um, in the, uh, the, the GSMA, which is the industry body that runs the Mobile World Congress, uh, they put together some really helpful notes for moderators, for panels. So if you're chairing, emceeing, or moderating, they have some advice on how to prepare. And one of the things that they recommend is don't over-prepare. So, so don't, you know, don't go into a room with all your panelists and have all of the chat you know, an hour before you go on stage, because then it's, well, yeah, that's it. You don't get any, you know, controversy or any nice Mm. kind of uh, dynamics or conflicts on stage. And I think all of these things are good for an audience to have that that, uh, spontaneity.
0: Yeah. And speaking about, I mean, speaking about conferences and and delivering value for audiences, you're on the advisory boards, I think, of some conferences. Yes. And without, without, I don't know what you can or cannot reveal, but I'm more interested in the perspective of how you view speakers, what you want from speakers, what speakers can do to provide value to the audience, which is what, which is what we're all about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a great question. I have not really uh, thought of it before, I just kind of got involved as, as an advisor in various uh, organizations. I mean, some conferences have very specific guidelines and judging criteria. Uh, to evaluating speakers and panel proposals. I mean, South by Southwest is one I'm incredibly honored to be on the advisory board for. So I have an input into judging submissions along with many other advisory board members. Uh, and our, our evaluation of the panel picker proposals, I think makes up 30 or 35% of the the, the result for any particular panel picker proposal um a, a lot I think is thirty thirty percent i 'm not sure it comes yeah, from the, it's the public, public. yeah exactly it 's all very transparent and so, you know maybe thirty percent comes from uh public feedback and then a, a further forty percent comes from the board of directors at south by Southwest so like every single proposal for south by Southwest is viewed in such detail with such uh, attention and care and you know real consideration towards trying to get make the the lineup for every South by the best it can possibly be. I'm super impressed to see that whole system in action. Um, I mean, uh, on another, uh, so, so that's, you know, the, the strict criteria, there's guidelines, the themes that South by want to have that year. So, you know, you're kind of advised to look out for X, Y, and Z mega trends and X, Y, and Z, uh, you know, subject matter. Uh, experts um, for something like um, customer experience world. For I've just recently yeah. joined the advisory board. Um, and this is very much around the vision of the uh, conference uh, uh, CEO, the, the, the CEO of the company focus group uh, events, Maggie Wheeler, and really she has a very specific vision for what the customer experience world series of events are going to deliver to the audience, and it's very high level, high end customer experience experts so uh, as the chair of our events we have uh, a gentleman called Adrian Swinscoe and he is one of the people who invented the science of customer experience and he's been writing about it in Forbes for years Uh, he's run a you know, one of the world's leading podcasts about customer experience, uh, you know, and he's run that for years and years and years. He he speaks to people like, um, Seth Godin and Guy Uh, Kawasaki, the former chief evangelist of of Apple, a small little startup called Apple Computers. You probably haven't heard of them. Um, so, so like Maggie's vision is just getting these very high level people in who can really put together an exciting agenda that, um, That crystallizes exactly what customer experience professionals need to get from going to a conference. Uh, I think the the best approach is really to, again, coming back to you know the Carl Cox example. You know, put yourself right in the shoes of somebody in the audience. And if you're, uh, you know, a chief experience officer, a customer experience professional, professional, somebody in comms, somebody in marketing, what do you want to get from? your investment of time and money and you know sitting in that auditorium and you know who would you like to see on stage and what can deliver the most value um so uh, i think it's it's different for every event um yeah, and uh, you know it's, it's if um you know if anybody listening is approached to be on an advisory board it's, it's an experience i would just recommend volunteering for and saying yes uh a it will help you grow your own personal network. B, it will make you think about events in a new way. And uh, you know it can be challenging in a very good way. Uh, so it's something that will help you evolve as, a, as an event professional for sure.
0: That is fantastic advice. I'm afraid we have run out of time. We could keep
1: going. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Another couple of hours, I'm sure. Another time, another time. Absolutely. There could always be a part two. Fabulous.
0: Let's wrap it up for today. Um, Oisin, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: Pleasure was mine. Thank you so much, Richard. And uh, yeah, keep up the great work with Voxgeek.
0: Wonderful. Thank you. You can find the transcript of this podcast and any links mentioned on our podcast page at voxgeek.com slash podcast. Subscribe for weekly editions where we talk to the people who make the developer community work. For even more, read our newsletter. You can subscribe at voxgig.com newsletter or follow our Twitter at VoxGig. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.